This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Well, amen. High five your neighbor and say you're looking good this morning. Now look at your second choice and say you're looking even better though. You're looking even better. Good to see you guys this morning. We're thankful for sunshine, thankful for rain. We're so grateful for what God's doing in this house right now. And even though it is a little blustery and gloomy outside, what God is doing in our hearts this morning is going to be full of light. What we're going to even do further today is further turn on the lights, bring brightness to a dark discussion. Are y'all ready for that? Now, what I think we need to do today is I would really love for us in this moment uh, to really center our hearts and to get ready for what God wants to do. And I've told a few people this morning, and I said it a couple of times last week, the, the devil is getting some black eyes, and we're making quite a few demons upset, and I am so excited about that. I don't know about you, but what has been happening is when truth is not proclaimed, then people are left to their own devices to make it up for themselves. It has been happening all throughout um, human existence. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai and was coming back with the Ten Commandments, that brother got down there and they were like, we're tired of waiting. Everybody put your jewelry in this pot. We're going to melt it and we're going to make a heifer. We're going to worship a heifer. That's how stupid we are as humans. That's how dumb we are. And then Moses was so mad, he broke the words of God and went, crap. I mean, I just, dang it. He had to go back up there and God's like, really? They had to rewrite it all and come back down uh, with the tablets. The Bible's way more fun than the way you read it. And so you just look at it. You're like, this is an interesting dilemma. We are in the same exact position now. And before I get started on week two of perfectly designed, somebody say perfectly designed. Before we get started, would you put your hand over your heart? And then put the other hand on your head. Now, this isn't, I'm not trying to Jedi mind trick you. I don't even know what Jedis are. So I'm just trying to like get you, get you ready for this. Repeat after me. Say, Father, open this mind. I reject any confusion and lies. Open this heart to receive your word and may it change me forever in Jesus name. Say amen. Amen means so be it. It's just a, a nice word for it. This is the truth. You know, last week we began a series called Perfectly Designed. We exposed the spirit of the age. Every generation, and, and sometimes it'll span generations, um, it's, so there's not like a year marker you can put on it spiritually, but you can look back at historical data and you can see certain spirits of the age what was in control at what particular time. And right now, we've exposed a spirit of the age that is not silent. It is very violent and vocal. It is not indifferent. It is very vocal and loud and pushy. And what we, are, what we discussed was the spirit of Jezebel and how to spot. We also talked about how to spot counterfeit truth. 
We put pictures up about how to spot a fake and, and, and what that really looks like, what that really means. You know, the devil is sneaky. He's a snake. He doesn't show up and say, hey, everybody, just so you know, I'm the devil and I'm here to wreak havoc. So y'all try to stop me, but I just want y'all to know I'm here. He doesn't do that. You look up and 10 years later and your child is going off the rails and you're wondering when the snake got in the house. And, and he's very sneaky, he's very, he's very cruel, he's very sensual, and that's the spirit of the age today. We talked about how to spot a counterfeit is through education and verification. Education and ver- educating yourself and then verifying that based on the word of God alone. And all the Christians said, amen. We, talked to, we also defined the word truth. And I know even that statement is very controversial that I would dare to define truth as a minister of the gospel. But we defined what truth is. If you missed last week, please go back and listen to it or watch it on YouTube. We're in this series, we're seeking God's design for our families, our sexuality, our relationships, our homes, our parenting. We laid a foundation of this, that God is not the best designer, not one of the designers. God is the only designer. Read that with me. One, two, ready, read. God is the only designer. The only one. He's the only one that has designed humanity. And if we don't believe that truth, then we are falling victim to the false narrative, the false truth, the false prophets that you can design your own truth. So when we talked about the spirit of the age and and how we've got to identify, the only way we can identify the spirit of the age is if that you and I have a bedrock foundation of biblical worldview or a kingdom-centered worldview. In other words, that there is an authentic designer that created you and I on purpose and he doesn't make mistakes. We also learn this phrase that God's ways are the best ways. Now, God is the only designer, but there are lots of people that have ways and say that their ways are the best ways. But God's ways are the best ways. And today, we're going to build off last week because a truth-believing Christian, a kingdom-centered Christian, a kingdom-centered disciple establishes his way over my way. And we're going to build off of that today. Today, we're talking about the subject matter of children. We're talking about the subject matter of homes, and of parenting. Now, I understand that not everybody in this room is a parent, but here's the truth. The content today is what all children need from all adults in their lives. Whether you've got children or not, you know kids. You live next door to some kids, or you're you're around kids, or your brother or sister, or somebody's got kids, or your grandparent, you're around kids, and and you, you may not even have plans on having children in your future, but the truth is all children around us need truth. And if you are an adult, you have a responsibility to be truth to a child and to stand firm for them. 
And even if you say, I don't believe that, I just go to this church. Well, here's another truth. I shared this a few weeks ago. You are part of a church family, a body of believers, body of disciples that has a child population of 56%. The national average is 18% of a church is children. You guys really, really love each other. And this church has a child population of 56%. So for the parent university today, everyone's getting a TV for their bedroom. But only if you sign up to serve in the next gen department. Dang, it should have done that. That's actually a good idea. We all have a part to play in seeing children raised whole and healthy. Here's a a couple of truths about children. Children are God's greatest blessing. You're like, Landon, that's nuts. Winning the lottery would be God's greatest blessing. No, children are God. I'll prove it to you. Psalm 127. Don't you see that children are God's what? Best gift. They are God's greatest gift, God's greatest blessing. The fruit of the the womb is his generous legacy like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth, meaning that these children will be used for good or for harm. You have a responsibility to point the arrow. Adults. How blessed are you parents Now, I just encourage you, if you have a day like I did yesterday, you need to go to the bathroom and take a chill and look at yourself in the mirror and say, how blessed are you, parent? Sometimes you just gotta preach truth to yourself. And all the parents said, amen, or oh me, whichever one. How blessed are you, parents, when your quivers are full of children? Your enemies don't stand against you, stand a chance against you. You'll sweep them right off of your doorstep. What a powerful scripture. The second thing is our children were born with a purposeful design from God himself. You can direct them and train them, but how many of you know them kids come right out the womb ready to obey or to fight? You can see it in their eye. As soon as they open their eyes, you're like, oh man, Lord, help me. 18 years of servitude, God, help me. Help me. Our job is to discover their God-given design and employ it. If your child is rowdy, don't keep telling them to hush. They might actually be the next voice, voice of God in their generation. Find a way to equip them instead of squash them. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's continue. This next point is one you might all really agree with. Our children are actually born as sinners with no understanding of right and wrong. Now that's hard to believe because when that baby comes out and especially if you're a first time parent, you're like, this, this is an amazing moment. Oh my gosh, like everybody look at my baby and that baby, like something touches the ground and then you throw it away and you just go into debt to buy things that hit the ground. And, and then your third child comes around and you're like, would someone lick this and put it back in his mouth? <laughs> We've got three kids and I might be speaking from experience. But it's hard to look at that baby and realize they're already born a sinner and they've not done anything. But because of the fall of man, 
they are still in need of saving. Children left, and they have no understanding of right and wrong. Children left to discover right or wrong on their own are very, very likely to have severe negative outcomes for their future. Children have to be taught what is right and what is wrong. So here's a a few truths. God is the designer of family. Do you agree with that? God is a designer of parenting. Do you believe he's the ultimate parent? And God is a designer of people. Do you believe that? So if God is the designer of family and God is the designer of parenting and God is the designer of people, then we have to ask the question, what is parenting? If God designed the family, if God designed children, if God designed you and I, what is parenting? What is that? What does that word mean? What is the definition of a parent? Well, that's the big question. How do I parent my children in a world that has gone off the rails? So today at three o'clock is Parent University here in this building. If you are not signed up, sign up today. Some kids' classrooms are already over or at capacity and they've already closed off some of the age groups. So if you're like, I'll just sign up the day of, you probably should stop doing that because the church is growing at a rate where you're gonna miss out. So start signing up the day we announce it and you'll save yourself some stress. But today there's already over 100 adults and over 100 children that are gonna be here today. People are wanting to know how do I parent my child? So sign up for that today on the website. So the cultural divide is this, though. So the, there is a question of what is parenting. But the cultural divide is what is good parenting? Because if I asked you, tell me what bad parenting is, we might all pretty much agree, like, don't hit the kid, don't punch him in the face, like, don't scream at him, don't call him stupid, don't cuss at him, don't throw him. You know, it's like we would all have, like, these very basic things that is just actually just being a good human to another human. But that doesn't mean that that's bad parenting. That just means you're not a nice person and you're hurting someone else. So what is good parenting though? If I asked you what good parenting is, that's a lot harder to answer. We can all point out the bad stuff and we'd all probably agree on most of it. But what is good parenting? I want to show you this video from Minnesota's lieutenant governor. Because let's be clear, this is life-affirming and life-saving health care. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them. That's what it means to be a good parent. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as parents, as grown-ups, to listen and to believe them. That's what it means to be a good parent. Let me read that again. When our children tell us who they are, 
It is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them. That's what it means to be a good parent. I don't want to beat around the bush, but that quote is about as anti-biblical as it can get. Physiologically and scientifically, it's ridiculous. The human brain's not even fully developed for complete cognitive thought all the way through until you're age 25. But Minnesota is allowing children 10 years and up to surgically mutilate their bodies without parental consent. So is Washington State and Oregon and Maine and New York. And if the parent stops it, you go to jail for child abuse. You're like, Landon, this is getting awful political. You just showed a lieutenant governor video. No, I, it's not getting political. It, it's getting ideological and theological and it's truth versus lies now. You know Kelly and I don't talk about politics from the stage. It's the church. It's not a campaign rally. But politics swerved out of their lane into mine. When our children tell us who they think they are based off what some TikTok influencer told them they should be, it's our job to believe them and let them destroy their lives. That's what it means to be a good parent. Culture says when children tell us who they are, we need to listen. The cultural, the cultural narrative is let kids decide for themselves. But what is godly parenting? If you had plans to move to Minnesota, hopefully you have now changed your idea. There's nothing up there worth anything, not even football. What is <laughs> godly parenting? Godly. This might seem really stupid in a church, but can we just say the word godly together? Godly parenting. What is God's idea? Because I think it might, it might matter what the ultimate designer and the only designer has to say about it. Parenting isn't about affirming their choices. It's about affirming the truth of their identity. Let me read it again. Parenting isn't about affirming their choices. Maybe your children are different, but mine make really dumb choices. And it isn't about affirming their choices. And you're not a mean parent for telling them that was a really bad choice. You are a great kid that made a really dumb decision. I use that line a lot. That was not smart, kid. You are an incredible kid. That was just a dumb thing you did. Now let me tell you about something dumb daddy did yesterday. So I always, always follow up with something dumb I did of which I have a lot of examples. But it's about affirming the truth of who they are. 
So we don't say lines like, what is wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with them. They were made in the image of God. We don't shame them. We don't, we don't criticize their identity. We talk to them about their decisions. But if they don't have the foundation of truth of their identity, then where do you, what, what basis do you have to say these things from? Truth says we listen to Christ as parents and we show them who they are in Christ. Now I'm gonna put this next one up on the screen and I want y'all to really see it. We need to be less concerned about their happiness and more concerned about their holiness. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that your kids need to be happy. Because if they're children and they're happy all the time, that means you've given up. But I want a peaceful home. You can have peace with discipline. <laughs> I just saw Brian go like this when you <laughs> said that, Sonia. <laughs> Do I want my kids to be full of joy? Yes. But guess what? Happy, happiness is fleeting. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy comes from a place of deep peace. And you can't have peace without boundaries and discipline. Good parenting, godly parenting, is about affirming their choices. So let's talk about good, because I'm going to use these words in a chat, like good parenting is godly parenting. Not godly parenting is bad parenting. So let's just say, if I say good parenting in this sermon, it just means godly, okay? Good parenting is not authoritarian or permissive. Now I've got some words to define for you. Good parenting is not authoritarian or permissive. You got two ends of the spectrum here. Good parenting or biblical parenting is though authoritative. Let me explain. Authoritarian is more like blind obedience. It's just teaching your children how not to think and just to be afraid of you. Authoritarian, by definition, is enforcing strict obedience to authority, especially that of the government, at the expense of personal freedoms. Some of you were raised in a home like this authoritarian of you speak when you're spoken to. Children are a nuisance, not a blessing. Like just get out of the way. It's everything they do is a problem. Everything they do needs redirection. Everything they say deserves a physical discipline, a spanking or whatever. And it's like they, they just can't get away. There's no personal freedom. It's this Blind obedience that's forcing them to obey. It sounds like some dictatorships that we have all learned about in school, if you ask me. And some of you are running your homes that way. Now you go out in public and to the public, it looks like your kids are well-behaved and you get home and they have no relationship with you. All they know is they just want you to not be upset. 
Look what Pamela Lee has to say. Authoritarian parents require children to obey without questions. Parents who use the authoritarian parenting style are clearly ineffective parents, even though they may try to disguise themselves as tough and disciplined parents. Authoritarianism is usually very judgmental towards everyone else as well. So what, how are authoritarianism and authoritative parenting different? Authoritative means this is just definitions. This, this is not even from the Bible. This is just basic definition. Having the power of special knowledge and showing the confidence of having that special knowledge. So authoritative is not the gavel. That's authoritarian. Authoritative is I know more than you. And I'm going to hold that truth of this knowledge, these things that I know, and I'm going to do everything I can to be confident in that and to show you how to live that way too. I'm not gonna let you run this home, but I am going to lovingly show you because I've got confidence that I have this special knowledge as a parent. But most parents would say, I I don't have that knowledge. So that's why we just throw tablets at our kids and restaurants and and everywhere we go because we just don't want them to talk to us. We just don't want them to be a mess in public. We just don't want them um, to contribute. So we're going to teach them that when you're in public, the best thing you can do is shut up and leave me alone. We think we're helping, but we're actually damaging them for a very long time. And we have to understand some things. Look what Dr. Leonard Sachs says. The child in their late 20s is much more likely, is much more likely to be anxious, depressed, and less likely to be gainfully employed, less likely to be healthy, more likely to be addicted to drugs or alcohol. We know that parents who are authoritative have better outcomes and it has a larger a larger effect on them than the effect of race, ethnicity, household income, or IQ. What is our country teaching children now? Can you put that, the end of that quote back up for me, Natalie? We're teaching them that the color of their skin, where they come from, what side of the tracks they're from, matters more than you pastoring them. And we're allowing them to fall victim to an ideology that separates people from truth, not gives truth, but it's masked as truth. It sounds Garden of Eden demonic to me. Eat this apple and you will know. It wasn't an apple, but you know. Eat this fruit and you'll know. You'll know more than God. And we're, we're teaching children that they are only identified by what they can see but they can't see that they're a child of God unless they are told that and taught that and then they begin to affect their world as a child of God. Then they can see it. But when they can't see it, what do they do? They put on little ears and little foxtails and call themselves an animal. And they change their physical appearance to call themselves something because they are crying out for identity and the church, because we're scared of losing members, is refusing to tell them who they are. 
It's a sin. And churches that are not talking about the truth in this generation are sinning against God for refusing to tell children, you are not a furry. You are not a girl. You are not a boy. God doesn't make mistakes, honey. You were made perfectly designed. So biblical parenting is these things. It's agape love. It's selfless. It's not coercive or demanding. It's selfless. It's firm, not soft. Everything about a child's life is soft. They need you to be stable. That doesn't mean mean. That means stable. That means uh, continuous. It means consistent. They need boundaries. You know why? Because boundaries create safety. Imagine you're, you're going up a mountain to, to, to the top of the mountain, and I don't know if you've ever been able to drive up Pikes Peak or Sierra Blanca in New Mexico or anything like that. There are parts of these mountains that don't have guardrails. It's pretty scary. I don't do heights. I don't do bridges over water. There are just certain things a land and kiker will never do. And, and, I, and I understand how these things just make me feel better. Like boundaries... Kids need it. So when parents are telling me, they're like, man, I, I really wish like my wife and I could have a date night, but our kids won't let us leave the house without screaming. Then you find yourself a good babysitter. You kiss them, you slam the door and drive away as fast as you can. <laughs> that feels so mean. No, because guess what? When they wake up the next morning, who's gonna be there? You. And then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. It makes us feel mean, but your child is learning. Mom and dad always come home. Always come. We're always coming back. We're always gonna be here. And we're getting ready to get into the made to last marriage conference season, which is coming up soon, so sign up. And there's no child care for that one, so find your own child care. And they're gonna scream, slam the door, and drive over here as fast as you can. But if you don't invest in yourself, you will never be a good parent. If your marriage is not strong, you can't be a godly parent. You'll be grasping at straws, doing everything you can that somebody on the internet told you to do. Kids need boundaries. Dr. Henry Cloud has great books about boundaries. Godly parenting is humble. It's not prideful. And this is really comes from your time with God. You have to examine yourself. And then when you're doing that, that's an act of love for your child. And godly parenting is also controlled. Not off the rails. It's controlled. I can't remember who said the quote. Uh, Kelly told me she read it, but I can't remember who it was from, but they said, if you find yourself yelling, you've already lost if you've allowed yourself to get to that point, the kid beat you a long time ago. We have a few of those that make us cross that line. And I get it. Some kids are easy. You're like, you basically don't even have kids. They take care of themselves. I get it. Some of y'all got so lucky it makes me angry. I understand that. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. And there's some of us, God's just like, you're strong. I'm going to give you the hardest one I found up here. You know, like you're, you're, whatever. Whatever. 
You roll the dice every time. You have no clue what's coming out. They come out and, and smile and say, Mommy. Or they come out and go, Hi, I'm here. So to land the plane on today, let's talk about why parents aren't parenting. Why aren't they parenting? Now I'm gonna give you the four things right off the bat if you're taking notes. Number one is fear. Number two is falsehood. Number three is fallacy. And number four is focus or wrong focus. Fear, falsehood, fallacy, and focus are the four reasons that I have found the, that most are the parents to all of these other things, but it's fear, falsehood, fallacy, or focus. So let's talk about it. Number one is fear. Why? Parents don't want to repeat their past. And so we're, we're locked up in fear, and, and it's, it's, we're scared to death that we're going to parent our children like we were parented. And you're like, Landon, I had great parents, but there are still parts of that that you don't want to repeat. Past abuse. We're afraid of repeating past abuse. We're afraid of repeating trauma onto our children and their emotions. We're afraid of how we were parented. and We're afraid, this is what might appeal to most of us, we're afraid of just getting it wrong. And we hear stories of other people that say they raised their kids in church and as soon as their kid turned 18, they were gone. And we're, we're afraid that's gonna happen to our kid. And we're also afraid of not having a relationship with our adult children. And so the pendulum swings to the other side of just letting them do whatever they feel is right so you can create a false sense of peace in the relationship. But what's gonna happen one day is they're gonna get old enough to realize you lied to them. Fear keeps us from parenting because we're just scared of the outcomes of standing for truth. Or like we, I had one parent literally tell me, I was like, why can you tell me, like I'm trying to figure this out, tell me why your first grader has an unrestricted iPhone. Like, well, they need to get a hold of me. I was like, they don't like you that much. I don't know why they need, want to get a hold of you. Schools have phones, right? And I was like, no, they were like, yeah, but they, they're the only ones in their class without one. I was like, oh, so we just make sure that our kids blend in instead of stand out. And it teaches them to not stand for truth, but to succumb to cultural pressure. Well, I'll just homeschool them. I just, I, don't, I can't have them in a school. Then let, let's, just, let's just run from the problem. They're gonna have to deal with society one day I think that you have to understand that the fear that is in your heart as a parent is making decisions that will affect your grandchildren. And it feels good to you now, but your family tree will suffer later. Think through how you're teaching your children how to think. Is it gonna be harder to stand for truth? 100% of the time. But if God gave you that child, he also gave you the grace to be their pastor and the grace to be their parent. He gave that anointing to you. And the second thing is falsehood. I call this the theory of good intentions. It's this 
idea that if I'm coming from a loving place, then it will all turn out in the end. But what we do matters. Like good intentions or not, like some of you were beat as children. And if I asked your parents, and I don't mean like physically abused, I mean like spanked, spanked. Some of y'all spanked for everything. And I believe if I asked your parents, they'd be like, I just wanted them to know discipline and know authority. Good intentions, but the, the, the heavy handedness hurt you. You weren't allowed to ask questions. The authoritarianism hurt your relationship with your parents even today. Good intentions don't create godly children. Let me read this uh, quote from Dr. Leonard Sachs on his book called The Collapse of Parenting. The restaurant scene is a prime example of how all too often adults defer to their children because they have relinquished parental authority and lost confidence in themselves as parents. So we're in a restaurant. We've all been there. Put yourself in the middle of Applebee's right now. Bad food, bad service, you're mad, wasting money. It's gross, it smells bad, and your kids are acting a fool. Put yourself in that environment right now. If you like Applebee's, I'm sorry. (laughs) They're motivated by a desire to raise their children thoughtfully and respectfully. In theory, in theory, Their intentions are good and their efforts are impressive. Moms and dads today are trying to build up their kids by giving them influence and they also want to please them and avoid conflict. In reality, parents are at risk of losing primacy over their children. The dinner table is ground zero. And all the parents said, amen. He says, when parents begin to cede control to their children, food choices are often the first thing to slide. A rule like, no dessert until you eat your broccoli, has now morphed into, how about three bites of broccoli, and then you can have dessert. We don't negotiate with terrorists. That's not in here, that's my quote. I literally said that to Levi last week. And he said, what's a terrorist? I was like, didn't think this one all the way through. (laughs) I don't know if you're ready for that yet. The command has become a question capped with a bribe. Dinner at home requires polling the kids on what they're willing to eat. The options might include roast chicken and potatoes, or chicken nuggets and french fries. You can bet which one they'll choose. So what do parents do? Parents renegotiate and renegotiate. How about sweet potato fries? I mean, it's at least a little healthier, right? How about sweet potato fries? Still fried. Parents in North America have become prone to asking their children, rather than telling them. It's natural, says Gordon Newfeld, a prominent psychologist. 
He says, intuitively, we know that if we're coercive, we're going to get resistance. For trivial choices, such as the color of what pants to wear, that approach is fine, who cares? But he says, when we consult our children about issues that symbolize nurturance like food, we have now put them in the lead because this triggers an innate psychological human response and their survival instincts activate. They don't feel taken care of and they begin to take the alpha role when their parents give them an option to eat or not. So if the girl is served green peas, does not eat one bite, and her dad says, and, and her dad, as her dad asked, Sachs says she is likely to believe that she has done her father a favor and he now owes her a favor in return. Food may be the first manifestation of the collapse of parenting, but many of the problems within families are a result of this type of role confusion. In this way, what happens over a meal is a metaphor for how uncomfortable parents have become in their position as the alpha or pack leader or decider of the family, the person in charge, or dare we say, the grown-up. Good intentions done with a lack of understanding and knowledge of what parenting is leads to undesirable outcomes. We need to know the way to go in order to teach them. Because Proverbs 22 says, train up a child in the way they want to go. It does not say that. Train up a child in the way they should go. Teaching them to seek God's wisdom and his will for his abilities and their talents. Isn't that good? So in order for you to Train a child and your children in the way they should go. You got to know your kid. You got to know their abilities. You got to know their talents. You got to teach them to seek God's wisdom. Even when they're old, they won't depart from that. So parents will quote this and be so frustrated when their children are going off the rails in high school and they're like, we went to church. That's not what that verse means. Some of y'all go to church and you still acted a fool yesterday. That's obviously not what that verse means. Training up a child in the way they should go. If you know the lines from your favorite TV show more than you know the names of your children's friends, training up a child, teaching them to seek God, submitting their abilities and talents to him, giving God all of who they are because they know they're children of God, then they won't depart from it because they know they're children of God and not what a TikToker told them they could be. In order for us to do that, we gotta know which way they should go. Even last week, Kelly and I were talking to some parents and maybe you're visiting here and you've heard this for the first time and and they said things like, I'm just letting my child find their truth for themselves because it was forced down my throat and I don't want to do that to them. What we don't understand is we're just perpetuating the same abuse. It's just got lipstick on it now. It's the same abuse. You are forced something from your parents. Now you're basically forcing your child to figure it out on their own. It's the same abuse. The third one is fallacy, mistaken belief. 
A fallacy by definition is a mistaken belief, especially based on unsound arguments or false truth. For example, like child-centered parenting. What's wrong with that statement, Landon? Child-centered, shouldn't they be the center? No! They shouldn't, children should never be the center of your world. God should be. They orbit God with you. Child-led parenting. I'm like, oh, dear God in heaven. Don't be sleeping in your bed till they're nine. For say goodbye to your love life. A child-led parenting. They don't even know right from wrong yet. And we're going to let them lead themselves? Let them find their way. There's only one way according to scripture, but if you're not a kingdom-centered Christian like we talked about last week, then that statement feels good to you. Let them find their own way. But to me, when I read scripture, there's only one way and I need to know it so I can lead my child there. But parents have been given this fallacy. Beliefs like in today's culture of the church pastors my children or the school will educate my child. No, schools and churches just help you lead your child. And there's so many avenues for parents to check out, just to disengage. Even yesterday, my heart broke at uh, Kaylin's soccer game. There, uh, this uh, couple was sitting next to me and uh, their daughter was doing a throw-in and she was, ready, she was getting ready to do the throw-in and, and, and she was like, mom, dad, watch how far I can throw it. And their daughter was this far from them on the sideline and they were playing Candy Crush, both of them. And so I affirmed the kid. As soon as I said, hey, you got this girl. And I said her name. I won't say her name in case I show up today. I was like, hey, you got this. Show him how far you can throw it. And then he was like, oh, what's going on? That's how we parent today. We check out of our kids' lives and then we wonder why they don't tell us the truth when they're 16. Because they don't believe you'll listen then if you didn't listen before. There, let me just say this. There is nothing on your phone more beautiful than your child. And there's nothing on your stupid phone worth more than you paying attention to your child. Nothing, not even work, nothing. Children, people say children can handle the pressures out there. I did it. Look how I turned out. <laughs> I walked in the snow uphill both ways to school. Liar, you were born in Texas. There's no hills or snow sometimes. With respect, it's not the same game. And the last one is focus. We're focused on ourselves. This goes along with the fallacy, but it's usually born out of unwholeness in the parent. We need to help ourselves so we go get help. That's not bad. But when we are getting our children to be part of that, it's called enmeshment. They, they be, they're starting to have to think about adult things before they can even think about adult things. And your children become your friends and not your children. When we're not firm for them, they get shaky. And an over-focus on ourselves and our wholeness and our Enneagram type and our counseling and our 
life and our careers and our stuff leads to indifference and laziness in regard to parenting. Why? Because you're only human and you only start the day out with this much emotional energy and if you give it all to yourself, what does the kid get? Our personal immaturities are creating character defects in our children. And we need to take these things to the cross and get Jesus back at the center of our lives as parents. And these things may be going in in, in going on inside you or going on in your home, that's why you need to be at Parent University today. If there is fear, falsehood, fallacy, or a lack of proper focus in your home, please come today. If you're a grandparent, come today so you can help your kids. They don't even live in this state. Come anyway. Send them some notes. Well, they're gonna get mad. That's okay. You're not their friend. You're their parent. I like, help them out. And I wanna end with this video it's a video that is really, it doesn't have a title, but it's really titled, Your Children Want to Have a Great Relationship uh, with You. So go ahead and put your notes up, put your pens up, your Bibles up. And I want you to watch this short clip as we get ready to end today. Your kids want to have the best relationship with you that they possibly could have. Like they're 100% on board with that idea way more than anyone you've ever met in your life. And that means you could have the best relationship with your children that you've ever had with anyone. That's what they offer you. And it's up to you to realize that. And you could. And that's a hell of a... Oh, that's a good opportunity, man. You know, even if you've been beat around a lot and betrayed and hurt, you've got those little kids and they're thinking... What do you want to do, Dad? You know, and if you're bitter, that'll cut you to the quick and you'll hurt them. You don't want to do that. The call is to be strong for your kids. The call is to be strong for children in general. Not just your kids, but for every kid. The call is to be strong. In order to be strong, you need the strong one. To be a good parent, you need God. To have a peaceful home, you need the Prince of Peace. To have wholeness, you need to be made whole. And we can't be strong and good in and of ourselves, can we? We can't use willpower to become whole. We need Jesus. And without Jesus, we parent out of our past and our own, and our own self-conceived good ideas and misdirected intentions and our children pay the price. So I want to ask you this question. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of what's going on in our culture? I just talked about all these states that have gone off the rails and their governors have gone off the rails and you're wondering, is Texas next? Like, are we going to have to move? I'm going to buy an island. I'm just going to hide. 
I get it. I've thought all of those things. I'm going to buy a houseboat and sit in the middle of the lake and no one can find me. Like, we're just going to, like our natural instinct is to run. That's not doable. It's not possible. We can't M. Night Shyamalan, the village, our family. Scare our children into staying in the fences because the world is such a bad place. We can't do that either. So I, I'm with you. Like I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of what's going on in our country right now. I'm a little bit worried about what my children are going to hear every day. It doesn't matter if they're in Christian school or private school or public school, just Christian kids hide it better. And you had to pay extra money for that lie. I'm a little afraid too. But I read this verse and I thought it was great to end our time today. Cast all your anxiety on him. Where are you taking these anxieties about your parenting? Where are they going? We got to cast them all on him, all of it. We have child dedications next week, and I heard there's like 920 children getting dedicated. <laughs> and we have child dedications next week. Guess what? They're not your kids anyway. If you're a Christian, they're God's kids. He's just letting you steward his gift, just like your money, just like anything else. They are gifts from heaven for you to steward and multiply the kingdom effectiveness in. What are you doing with that? And if you're wondering about the stuff that happened to you as a kid right now, and this is cutting you hard, that can be given to him today too. And today can be a day where you bring that to the altar and you don't have to leave here with that unexpressed pain again. So I'm gonna ask the prayer partners to come down and they're here to pray for you about anything that you need you know what it is. Is it your marriage? You need to come down with your spouse and just get prayer for something. It could be even physical healing. It could be, can you just pray with me to, to be the peacekeeper and the peacemaker of my home? Can you just help bring that truth uh, to, to, my, to, to my home? Can you help me? Can you just speak faith into our situation? It could be that simple. It could be you need to come down and, and repent of this authoritarian, like heavy-handed, just strict obedience kind of parenting that's gonna create a child that runs so fast from you when they graduate, you won't be able to find them for years. You might need to come down and repent of that. It's not too late. Even if they're teenagers, it's not too late. Because the older they get, just the more closeness and apology and repentance they need from you. It's not too late. As youth pastors, we help parents with this all the time, a decade, over a decade ago, and just help people walk through, how do I get back to center? And it starts with you making Jesus the center. And if you're here today and you're, you and your spouse are not on the same page and maybe they didn't even come to church with you, you can come and get prayer for that too. Watch God do miracles that you could have never done on your own because he'll do it. So they're here to pray with you. The band's gonna sing a song called The Blessing. And it's all about the blessing of the Lord over your home and your children. And while they're singing that song, 
come down, receive prayer, and receive communion. They're gonna cut, they're gonna uh, rip off a piece of the bread and they're gonna dip it in the juice. And they're gonna hand it to you and say, his body broken for you, his blood spilled for you, your sins are forgiven. We encourage everybody to take communion and come remember the sacrifice of Christ because that sacrifice of Christ is the center of godly parenting. So Father, we, we repent of all the things that we've done that have possibly hurt those beautiful gifts that you've given us to steward. And God, we, we've done so many dumb things, we can't even remember them all. And God, we just ask for forgiveness. And God, we ask that you would put a burden in our heart for this next generation that you would bring a healthy level of conviction to us that cuts us to the core, that drives us to change. And may we raise a generation of young men and women that stand for truth and not false narrative. And we know it starts with us submitting to the authority of Christ. So we do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the altars are open to come receive prayer for anything at all. Uh, and, and also for communion. We'll come up and end the service here in about five minutes. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.